right, now we should be good. Well, let me read scripture for you. Um, before you sit down, let me, no, 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 go ahead. I'm just messing with you. Uh, okay, let me, I will read the passage and pray and we'll get going. Um, so Mark 4, uh, 35 to 41. My name is Dustin, I'm the pastor here. I grew hair. And so uh, let me just go ahead and read this. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him and with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So let me, let me go ahead and pray for us and then uh, and get going. Lord, thank you that you are a great God. You are present, you are with us. Uh, I wanna pray for those of us who are coming into this morning just weary, exhausted, frustrated, uh, full of unbelief, uh, not quite sure uh, how much longer they can keep going. And would you minister to those hearts? I, I wanna pray for those who feel really good about life because they're doing all the right things and not doing the wrong things. And in their minds, they're, they're good and they're, they're fine with you because um, they're keeping up their end of the bargain as if there is one of those. And I pray that you would humble them this morning with your grace, with, with your gift to them. And I wanna pray for those of us who are here thirsty and hungry for more of you, that you would minister to us. And so we love you and need you for everything, amen. Uh, I was just playing. Dustin is a good friend of mine. Uh, my name is actually Dwight. Um, I haven't lost my hair yet, so that's good. Uh, and very privileged and excited to be here. Uh, hopefully, uh, as we've been sending preachers in here, uh, it's been a real benefit and been helpful to you. And so it was my turn this morning on the, on the schedule. So I, I'm a pastor of Church 21. Uh, we have four or five different locations and primarily I'm, I'm leading downtown. Uh, although we just moved to Point Clair Village like the other day, uh, so we are West Islanders again. Um, so really, really glad to be here. We're in the book of Mark. I know you're in the book of Mark. We've been tracking together as, as churches throughout this. And so this is a passage that we're gonna be uh, rooted in today. You don't have to answer these questions, all right? But I'm gonna ask a few of them. But if you wanna answer, feel free. Um, but what is the biggest broken promise that has ever been made to you? And just, just take a minute and think about that. What's the biggest broken promise that has ever been made to you? It, it often is painful when you think about that because people have told you that they would invest in you, that they would provide for you, that they would be there for you, and they, they haven't been. They, they've fallen short on their end of the bargain. But reality, like sometimes it's, it's acceptable, right? There's, there's sickness that comes, there's unforeseen circumstances, there, there's life that just gets in the way. If you promise someone in Australia that last October you were gonna be there, it doesn't matter how you're gonna get there, you'll be there for them, I guarantee you weren't there, right? Because there was an unforeseen circumstance that, that came up. But if you're the person that's constantly making promises to people and you, you're breaking your promises, it, it's, it makes you an untrustworthy person. It shows that your character is defunct. It shows that there's a brokenness inside of you that you need to lead people along so that you get their approval. But in the end, you know that you can't provide ultimately what they need. 
So today we're gonna look at a very interesting promise that Jesus made, and it's, it's actually rather simple. It's kind of like saying to my kids, hey kids, hop in the van, we're gonna drive downtown. Jesus makes a promise to his disciples, but the promise meets intense opposition. And as we get into this story, this thing that, that took place between Jesus and his disciples, we're gonna see a lot of ourselves in it as well. This isn't just something that we read about, oh, that's nice, right? Read a, a, little, a little story to the kids before bedtime or read a nice little religious story to make yourself feel better. We're gonna find ourselves in this story. So let's get into to this text. Um, Jesus is just coming off of teaching the crowds all day long. If you were here last week, you would have heard Mark chapter four, one to 34, where Jesus was speaking parables to people, telling them stories about what his kingdom and the place where he's ruling and reigning would actually be like. And I don't know if you've ever taught all day long, but it's exhausting. At one point we had five different gatherings during COVID and we would just preach like 30 to 40, 45 minute sermons over and over and over and over again. And at the end of the day, it's like, I, I'm just tapped out, absolutely exhausted. And Jesus would, had this type of a day where he just taught the crowds all day long. And then listen to what he says to the disciples in Mark chapter four, verse 35, 36. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Like Jesus is already in a boat. He's been teaching out of a boat all day long. And he says, let, get in guys, like, and let's go over to the other side. And then verse 36, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was and other boats were with him. So there's this, there's this little thing that's taking place that this little group of, of boats are going across the water. Now boats, they, there was, uh, I forget which date it was, but recently, like recent past hundred years, they found what type of boats these would have been in the Sea of Galilee. They surfaced them. And these boats would have been about 26 feet. Sorry, I don't have, they didn't give me the, the meter piece of that. So if any of you wanna do translation work, go ahead. 26 feet in length, and it could fit about 15 people. So you think about in every boat, Jesus would be there with his 12, but then there were other boats that were going along with them. And Jesus at the end of the day is just absolutely and utterly exhausted. And what I like about this, and we're gonna see that in just a second, what I like about this is that it shows Jesus' humanity, right? So often we think that Jesus walks around like doing this all the time and that he's just tapped into some power that he's ready to pull out at any moment that he's, we, we know that he is God or we at least believe that he is God. You might be here today and say, I'm not there. That's okay, I'm so glad that you're here. But we believe that Jesus came as God yet veiled inside of flesh. He was fully human and fully God, not half God, half human. He was fully both. They call that ready for a big word, hypostatic union, that these two realities could be together at the same time. And so what we see is that Jesus is not working off of this, this wild um, reality that he never has to sleep. He gets tired, he gets exhausted. Look at verse 38, the first part. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Now, why was this an issue? Well, because of verse 37, it says, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. You imagine being out on the St. Lawrence in a little like dinghy or kayak or something and the waves are busting in and somehow you fit one of your short friends in the front of your kayak and they're just completely passed out. Like they're half drowning because the waves are breaking in, but they're just so content in there, so tired that they are sleeping. 
Now this isn't just like a little windstorm. Uh, in Arabic, they would call this the sharkia. Now sharkia holds to it a word that we're very familiar with, shark, right? When you say shark in the water, what do you do? Hey, you guys aren't awake, you get out. I don't know, I grew up in the ocean. If there's a shark call, you get out of the ocean, right? When someone is calling a windstorm a shark, it's like, this is not good news. This is not storm chasing time. This is a moment to get out of the water. And when fishermen, when people who spend time out in the water, I don't know if you've ever gone sailing before. I have, and I've sat with the sailor and like the, the sailboat starts going sideways and I'm looking, I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, no, 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 it's cool. I'm like, no, this is not cool. I live most of my life like this, not like this. And he's like, no, this is normal. This is how we turn, the wind. I'm like, whatever, you know, I'm just la, 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 close my eyes, tell me when it's all done. But for them, it's completely normal. No stress, smile, making fun of me as I'm, as I'm losing my mind. But when sailors or fishermen who spend most of their time on the water, when they start losing their mind and freaking out, that's when you're like, oh, panic. When the pilot gets on, he's like, Good afternoon. Do you know what pilots are? Do we forget what those are? Airplanes or those things that fly? Okay, so a pilot gets on and he's like, good afternoon, you're all gonna die, right? It's not good news, is it? When the pilot comes running out of the cockpit and you're like, bro, what's going on? Did, did you eat something bad? He's like, no, 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 we're gonna die. This is not good. When fishermen start losing their mind, it is not good. The toughness inside of these disciples is absolutely gone. So what makes you scared? What makes you scared? I asked my wife this last night and she said, snakes. I'm like, no, 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 not snakes. Like really scared. Snakes, you just chop off their head, done. What makes you really scared? And so I, I pose that to you. And we take these moments not to just be like, oh, okay, I'm waiting for this guy to move on in his, in his little soliloquy, in his little sermon. But what makes you scared? Some of you have experienced that during the past however many months. Some of you can't imagine losing your job. Some of you can't imagine losing a, a loved one. Some of you can't imagine going on without the security and the safety that you have around you. I don't know what it is for you, but what is it that makes you scared? What's that storm, that, that shark that is so intense that you're, you're fearful? And this is where we have to sit with this for just a second. What is that thing? And then what if in that moment where you're experiencing the greatest fear that you've ever experienced, you look over at Jesus and he's passed out? How does that make you feel? Jesus, don't, don't you care about me? Jesus, I was just with you as you healed all those people. You seem to care a whole lot about that village. Remember when we didn't eat because you cared about that village and now we're dying and you can't even wake up? Right, in those moments where we're faced with our greatest fears and insecurities, we're looking to Jesus and if we think that he's asleep, we have lots of questions about him. We have lots of accusations against him. What about me? I see you caring about all those other people, but what about me? And it's important again to pause and just process this. When did you last feel this way? When did you last feel like Jesus can't really care about me? This storm is far too great. This shark is far too intense. If Jesus is real, 
he can't actually be caring about me in this moment because circumstances are telling me otherwise. We listen to our circumstances a lot, don't we? When was the last time you felt like Jesus just doesn't give a rip about you? Because this is exactly what the disciples accuse Jesus of when they wake him up. Listen to verse 38. He was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we are dying? They were waking up to the reality that death is probably gonna get them soon. People don't make it out of these windstorms. These are the storms that you scare your kids about so that they don't become fishermen. It's scary. But what did the disciples expect Jesus to do? Honestly, what do you think that the disciples expected Jesus to do by waking him up? Like, Jesus, would you empathize with us? Jesus, would you tell us a story about a storm one time that went away? Like, you just got done this whole day of stories. Would you tell us a story? Would you comfort us? Would you play a hymn for us, like on the Titanic as it was going down? Would you at least give us a little bit of reassurance as we are on our way out? But instead, Jesus does something that seems a bit wild, seems a bit crazy. He wakes up and he starts speaking to nature. Now I have four little kids. Sometimes when they wake me up, I say the craziest things. I do the craziest things. I can't even share with you some of the craziest things that I've done, right? My wife is like, I have serious concerns about you. I'm like, but I was asleep. It's not my fault, right? But like, it wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past myself that I would start yelling at nature if one of my kids woke me up at the right moment. How many of you have spoken to nature before? You don't have to put up your hands, but how many of you speak to nature on a regular account, like stupid rain? Like of all days, you're gonna rain now, right? You're interrupting our thing. You're interrupting our picnic, our gathering after the gathering. Come on, like we gave an announcement about it. Rain, couldn't you have put it off? But Jesus speaks to nature, wakes up groggy-eyed, maybe is like, and then just starts speaking to the sky and to the sea. Listen, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace and be still. And if you're a disciple in that moment, you're sitting there and you're watching this, what are you thinking about Jesus? Like he's on his way out, right? Like peace be still. And then what happens? Well, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm, which means the waves completely calmed. It was like no more ripples anymore on the sea. This, this idea of what Jesus did is like muzzling an animal. That's what Mark is trying to convey to us. Muzzling an animal so that it can't move. It can't hurt. It can't harm. It can't do anything. Jesus' power over the wind and the waves is one where he can just muzzle it whenever he wants. We have a dog. I went running with my dog for the first time ever this morning. It's painful. Um, but at one point when you run past dogs, it's like a gentle leader. There's nothing gentle about that thing. Right, it's like just yanking him along, like, come on. But when, when we pass a certain type of dog, I have to actually get down and like muzzle him with my hands, right? That's my power over him. But pretty soon I won't be able to do that. He's gonna be too strong for me. How weak are we? If we can't muzzle an animal with, with, our, with our ability and with our strength, how are we going to muzzle nature? And yet that's what Jesus does. That's his capacity. And sometimes we hear a story like that. We're like, oh yeah, that's nice. Like, let me write that down in my things I know about Jesus. He can muzzle nature. 
But this is incredible power. The disciples had never seen anything like this before. People do not have this gift to be able to speak to nature and have it obey them in this way. Jesus was identifying and showing them something significant about himself, that he is powerful in a different way that the disciples could ever imagine. And Jesus is connecting himself to at least three different parts of the Bible. So let me read to us one of those, Psalm. Okay, Psalms were like songs of the Old Testament. So the Bible's broken up into two big sections, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, before Jesus came to earth, and then the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and the first hundred years of the church, some snippets about it. But the Psalms, these were things that, that were sung when the people of God would come together and there wouldn't be a PowerPoint in that day either. They, they memorized these a lot of the times and they would sing these out as they would come together. But listen to Psalm 107, verse 23. Now this is many, many years before Jesus came. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind. So the psalmist is saying that it's not just God who muzzles, but it's God who actually commands and raises up the stormy wind as well. Verse 26, they mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. And here it is. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And then they were glad that the waters were quiet. He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man and let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. These people, as they were reading the Psalms, were waiting for someone that was going to come that would be able to still the storms in their lives. And in a way, Jesus is unbuttoning his shirt, one more button, not in a creepy way, but revealing more of who he is, that I am more than just this teacher in a boat with you going to the other side of the sea. I'm the one that you've been waiting for, for centuries, for the millennia, since the beginning, since evil came into the world. I'm here and I can harness the wind and I can raise it back up again. And all power is in me. The second passage that connects to this passage we're looking at is Jonah. Now, last week, as I preached in other places, I told the story of Jonah. I won't tell the whole story in its fullness uh, here. But Jonah 1, we know that Jonah was a prophet of God that was supposed to be sent to a place called Nineveh. Nineveh was where the enemies of the people of God were. God said, I want for you to go, Jonah, and tell them that I am going to destroy them, but I will be gracious and compassionate with them. And Jonah says, eh, not for me. So he gets on a boat and goes the other way, complete opposite direction. The Lord's like, oh, okay, we're gonna play this game. So the Lord raises up a big storm and Jonah ends up um, being thrown into the water. And after Jonah was thrown into the water, what happens to the waters? Yeah, they were, I, that just all sounded like, blah, 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 blah. but like it was calm, it was still. Jonah had to be thrown into the water as the rebel to, to calm the storm for everyone else. Now we're gonna make a few, a few steps with, with this passage. In essence, Jonah brought the storm onto himself and onto everyone else. And it took Jonah, the sinner in that story, to be thrown out to bring a calm. Well, the reality is that we've all brought a storm onto ourselves, haven't we? 
Have you ever gotten yourself into a situation and you realize in the middle of that situation, like this is all my fault. If I wouldn't have made this choice, we wouldn't be here right now. And then you have to figure out how you get out of that. Well, the reality is, is that we're all in this, in this storm. And, and we can blame it on someone else, but ultimately, personally, we're responsible for being in that storm as well. We got caught up in the vortex by choice, not just by a force of someone else. In essence, you and I have to look in the mirror at some point and recognize that I, I am a rebel. I am a rebel. Even you good kids, right? I know, I know I'm speaking to adults, but right? If you think back to elementary school, primary school, the good kids that pretend like they're good and then do the shady things on the side, like they're just as rebellious as everyone else. We're all rebels. And we're, we're rebels against God. We believe in, in, a, in a true, living, eternal God and we have rebelled against him and we have been brought into this storm. And the storm is ultimately going to destroy us, not just now, but forever. And, and it's, it's our fault. We don't like to hear that. That's not a very um, embracing message that we brought the storm onto ourselves. We brought sin and the consequences onto ourselves. That we are not holy, that we are not righteous, that we are not perfect, that we, are, we have blemishes all over us. We don't like that. And in essence, you and I should be thrown out of the boat so that calm would come. We should be just like Jonah, caught up in the middle of this, this storm. We should be thrown out of the boat. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I'll, I'll be thrown out of the boat for you. Throw me in the water. Let me go in so that calm can be brought to you. And Jesus gets thrown out of the boat on the cross. That's where we see it happen that we brought the storm of sin and death and hell into our realities. And yet Jesus gets thrown out of the boat for us. Why? So that you could be forgiven, so that you could be made new, so that those blemishes could be removed, so that you could be scrubbed clean, so that you could be made whiter than snow so that you could stand in the presence of a perfect, holy God and have him say, I accept you. Not on the basis of what you've done, but on the basis of what's been done for you. That's the beauty of our story that we belong to, that Jesus gets thrown out for us. But that's bad news if we just throw someone off the boat and they're supposed to be our savior, right? If you throw the captain off the boat, that's not good especially if you don't know anything about, I don't, I don't, I'm losing my nautical uh, language. In fact, I never had nautical language. Um, you need a captain, right? If you don't know how to sail, you need a captain. Well, let me connect this to the third passage. And then let me tell you a story. First Corinthians 15, another book in the New Testament. First Corinthians 15, this whole chapter is on the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus doesn't stay dead. And so first Corinthians 15 verse 55 says, oh death, where is your victory? Remember, Jesus has just been thrown onto the boat. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through 
our Lord Jesus Christ, who has risen from the dead. He's no longer dead. He's no longer drowning in the sea of our sin, but it's been paid for. And now he's alive and active and moving. You see, Jesus experienced death from the storm, but then he woke up. And he rose and he rescues us. And because Jesus gets up out of the grave, this is like one of those like, hey, wake up heart, wake up soul. Like, come on soul, ignite and and be engaged with this. All right. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, you have forgiveness. You have family and not just family with one another, but you have family with God. And that God is now your dad if you have been rescued by Jesus. And you have a good dad who's not gonna break his promises, who's always gonna do what is good, right, and true. Who's never gonna leave you, abandon you, forsaken you, kick you out of the house, drop you off at the orphanage. He's locked in on you saying, you are my beloved son and my beloved daughter. With you, my, with you I am well pleased because of what Jesus did in your place. And you can't take that away doesn't matter what you've done you can't take that away it's like my kids my kids are stuck with my last name and it doesn't matter what they do how much they don't want it I get legally that they can change it but in reality they're my kids and God says you're stuck with me and I'm going to pursue you and I'm actually everything you're looking for this is all because of what Jesus has done And then in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, therefore, because of all that, be my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. You see, in this life, there's always difficulty, isn't there? Your power will go out, your internet will go out, you'll be stuck in traffic, your car will break down, um, you'll lose your job. Like there's always gonna be difficulty. And there's, if you smell it enough, there's always a scent of death, right? There's always a scent of death in this life. But because Jesus is alive, we don't have to fear. Because Jesus has this type of power, we don't have to fear because he's here with us and he's full of compassion. Do you know what he doesn't say to you ever in moments where where you're in that storm and you're full of doubt and you're questioning? He doesn't say, hey, Fred, just suck it up, man. Come on. He says, oh, I understand. I understand the temptation to not believe. And let me enter in and show you my power anew. Encounter me again. It's not just this try harder, believe more. It's look at me. I took my daughter to swim lessons uh, this past week. I had a few days off and it was great. And um, I'm there in the water with her and she's supposed to jump, like she's four. So she's in like the first little class and she's supposed to jump. And the swim teacher told me to stand back even further. So it was pretty far. I'm like, I don't think I'm gonna be able to catch her. But part of it is that they want her to go underwater and then get brought back up. But she's like looking at me, like, and then looking away and looking away and looking at the teacher, all kinds of fear. And I'm like, Stella, look at me, look at me, just, just jump. And when she would lock on, she would get a smile and she would just jump. And that's what Jesus wants. He's like, look at me, don't look around. Don't be looking at circumstances. Look at me, come on, jump. Like I'm here, I'm here. And I know sometimes it feels weird to be spoken to like, oh, so I'm like a four-year-old. Like, yeah, kind of, we are, if we're honest. And Jesus says that he wants us to be childlike in our dependence, not childish, but to be childlike. He's full of compassion and he is in charge even when you think he's absent. 
Like that's good news. When you're like, hey, Jesus bailed out on me. He's like, ah, it stinks that you're going through that right now. I'm gonna be here. But hey, by the way, everyone else, I'm still in charge. That he stays locked in. He's not emotional. He's not whimsical like, fine, if you don't wanna think that about me, I'm leaving. He's not like that. He's not passive aggressive. Fine, you think that? Well, watch this, right? I'll get you this way. He doesn't do that. He's not looking to get you. He is eager, like waiting to pounce on you with forgiveness and grace and embracing. He wants you to come to him. You see, it's in moments of of doubt and storms that he wants to do a deep work in our hearts. See, you and I just wanna get through the storm. You and I just wanna like rush through and like, I can't wait till I get to the other side of this. But like a doctor, Sometimes Jesus brings us through painful things so that he can heal us. To reveal certain things about us. Listen to the question that Jesus asks his disciples after he calms the storm. He said, why are you so afraid? In verse 40, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Disciples saw so much, didn't they? Up to this point in Mark, they've seen people being delivered from demonic presence. They've seen people be healed. They've seen whole towns being healed. They've seen so much with their eyes. But the threat to faith, the threat to their faith wasn't a lack of knowledge, but doubt and fear. That doubt and fear would overwhelm them and drown out the faith that they actually have. It's ironic, isn't it? That they're standing in this storm looking at the storm and God's presence is right there. The one who can absolutely do something about it. And we're the same way, aren't we? That Jesus, we believe that God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. He is here with us right now. Sometimes we we do like a worship gathering like this, thinking that God is in a corner of a galaxy looking in, he's so pleased. He's right here with us. And if, if this stuff is actually landing in your hearts, it's not because of me, it's because he's taking it and putting it in your heart and he's driving and creating new faith and dependence on him in the midst of whatever you're going through. He's here, he's with us. And Jesus wants this and situations like this to lead us to trust and hitch our life to him, to finally say, okay, I give up. You realize that most of Christianity is giving up? I give up, I can't do this. I've been trying so hard to get my boat to the other side and I just can't do it. I can't get the storm away. I don't have enough trust. I don't have enough faith. I can't do it. Jesus, I need you to do it for me. And he is so pleased to do it. Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a list of done that Jesus has accomplished in your place everything that you and I could not do. You see, in this story, Jesus is showing his power, not just a posture, not a position like read the title, son of God, guys, but he's showing his authority. He's showing his authority. He's showing his control. And we really need his power, don't we? And it's not until we go through storms that we recognize that. We don't have what it takes. We don't always walk around feeling like, ah, I really need your power today. I feel so inadequate. We need moments like this. We need fragile moments 
that either are going to take us into doubt or fear or into deeper worship of him. We need fragile moments that are going to lead us to potentially walk away or walk into an encounter with him. This was recently illustrated for me. Um, We have not been welcomed kindly to the West Island. Uh, a few things. Uh, one, we arrived and we thought we had some people that were going to help us unpack and we had this truck and then no one came. And so my wife and I, like, with my kids, right, little kids, like, we're not, we're not big people. We don't, I know I have big muscles and stuff, but, like, my kids don't. So, no, we have no muscles, really. And so, like, we're all unloading this thing. It's like, oh, okay, great. We just arrived here, doing it, whatever. doesn't matter. So we finally get in, get everything unpacked, fridge stocked, all that. And then this massive tree fell down and knocked out our power. And, but we didn't know it was a massive tree. And so we're like, oh, power will come back on in a little while. And it didn't. And so we're figuring out, like, what do you do without power? We live downtown. We always had power. There were no trees down there, right? And so it's like, what do we do? So you buy bags of ice and you do all this stuff. But we went into like being fully powered, excited, like we're gonna do this, it's gonna be amazing, to like self-power mode, where you drive to the depanar and you buy the bag of ice and you, you, you find all your batteries. Our kids use sound machines because there were lots of noise downtown. So you have to get batteries so our kids can actually sleep at night. And then you, you use your data. I've never really used my data all that much. And like you get a little text saying you've used 75% of your data trying to watch the Habs get destroyed, right? It's been, it was powerful. It's like, give me my data back, right? I didn't want to use it for that. Um, but you go into self-power mode. How do we power this house? How do we power ourselves forward? And then our neighbors have generators, but even generators can only last so long before they need more power put into them. And everything, now track with me, okay? Everything is like backup power. We're waiting to get put back on the grid. We're not doing the Point Claire Village to be off the grid. We wanna very much be on the grid, but all of life is backup power in that moment. And we're left waiting. And Hydro is breaking their promises to us all day long. It'll be fixed in an hour. It's like, okay, put all my faith and trust in that promise, like broken, be fixed tomorrow. You're just left waiting. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting trying to mimic real power. I'm constantly fixated on how are we going to do the next thing? We grilled all the meat we had at 7 a.m. It's like... You know, the neighbor's like, wow, your backyard smelled really good. I'm like, that was everything. You got the full smorgasbord of all our meats, right? It's exhausting to try and live without power. We had to bring our electronics down to our neighbor's house. We had to plug those in and bring them back, expecting that this was gonna just keep going. And I came to the realization, this isn't rocket science, okay? Not all that smart, but I came to the realization that we need real power. We need hydro to put us back in the grid. Sometimes I'm good with my words. And so I'm like, I'm gonna go find these hydro guys and convince them that my street is more important than any other streets around and get them to come in. And it was very much a, no, we're not doing that. I'm like, ah, come on. And so I left, it was two days, I left and I went on a walk and I'm like preparing for the sermon. And so I'm I'm on this walk and I processed how we don't viscerally experience powerlessness very often. Uh, We have some friends at the end of our street and the joke was we would walk by and they'd be like, do you have power yet? I'm like, no power. And they would just flip on and off their switch. We're like, yeah, we have power. They're like flaunting their privileged electricity place, right? But we don't have real powerlessness often. 
in that moment, I felt my weakness. And I'm not just saying like, oh, woe is me, I lost my power, like first world problems, not that at all, it was fine. But the Lord was using this experience to talk to me about my insides and our insides, that I felt my weakness. I felt absolutely powerless in that moment for the situation, but I also felt powerless in my neighborhood. How is Point Claire Village gonna come to know who Jesus is? I'm, I'm powerless, I'm off, I'm off the grid on my own. I'm off the grid on my own. And I began praying, like walking around the neighborhood and I was doing it out loud because I'm like, I've lost my power. Everyone else has no power. No one can see me at this point, it's dark. And I just began praying like, I need your power. And people are probably like, this brother is speaking to hydro, you know, like he is losing it. But I'm like, Lord, I need your power. I need your spirit. And for all of Avenue Gulf, I was just praying, I need your spirit. I need your spirit. I am powerless without you. And I said, Lord, our city needs your power. Our city, it's our churches so often. We try with our little programs and our ambitions and our things. We try and be the ice. We try and be the place where you can plug in electronics. We try and, and sometimes give false power. And we're not really fully plugged into the power of God. We're not freshly encountering him. We're relying on what worked before and we're wondering why it doesn't work today. But we need, and I was overwhelmed with this reality, that we need the power of God to move in our city and in us. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. Paul went in to a city of Corinth that's just like Montreal, very cool, urban, hip, trendy, leading in culture. And here's what he said. In chapter two, verse one, and I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul is saying, I came to your cool, trendy city and do you know what I did? I preached about Jesus's death and resurrection. That's it. And then he goes on to say, and I was with you in weakness. Paul said, I came to you weak on purpose, in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. And here it is, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You do not need your faith to rest on me. You do not need your faith to rest on Dustin. You do not need your faith to rest on anyone else. You need it to rest in the power of God. You yourself need to be plugged into the grid of the Holy Spirit and encounter the living God who will ignite you and send you onto his mission to show and tell and demonstrate that Jesus isn't this cool little person that once lived a long time ago that we have some morals around, but he is living, active, moving, compassionate, merciful, gracious, and he wants to rescue Montreal. That's what we wanna be tapped into. And there's no other way than experiencing our powerlessness so that we go to him saying, I need your power, I need your spirit, I need your power, I need your spirit. We need fresh encounters with him. We need stormy boats rides with Jesus. Do you get that? 
We need stormy boat rides with Jesus so that we see more of who he is. These disciples wouldn't have seen this if they weren't in this near death situation. Jesus kindly brings them through this so that they get to experience this part of him. See, these encounters, they surface our accusations against God. They surface our areas of false dependence. And Jesus wants to clear our false understandings of who he is, just like hydro cleared off this massive tree that fell and destroyed all these wires. Jesus wants to walk with you through your life, removing all the false allegiances and beliefs that you have so that you can be just like him. Don't look forward to the moment that you're in, if it's a difficult one, of just being over. Say, Jesus, what are you doing right now? What work do you wanna do in me right now? Because he is using it to make you and I more like him. And let me, I'm wrapping up. Some of you are like, I'm hungry. Me too, I'm wrapping up. Jesus kept his promise. Jesus said to them, hey, we're gonna go to the other side. And then in Mark 5, which will be in next week, Mark 5 verse 1, says they came to the other side of the sea. Jesus kept his promise. He knew that they were going to go through that. He knew what he was going to do with that. And here's the thing. In the midst of your storm and the difficulty that you're going through, you're going to have to lean on his promises that he's made to you. That I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And do you know what these disciples did after they saw Jesus do this? Listen to verse 41. They were filled with great fear. And don't think of like, oh, I'm so afraid. Not that. It was awe. They were filled with great awe. And they said to one another, who is this? Who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Use the storms that Jesus allows to come into your life to lead you to a deeper worship of him. Give your false allegiances to him. Give Jesus your generator. What's your spiritual generator? That if Jesus doesn't come through, you're gonna plug into that. Take that out of your little garage. Never had a garage being downtown, right? But take that out of your garage and give that to him. Say, today I'm giving you my generator. He's like, yeah, but what else? All right, I also have an ice thing in case the, the power goes out again. I'm giving you my ice. And he says, okay, what else? All right, I'm giving you my data. I'm only gonna be Wi-Fi from this point forward, trusting you. Okay, but, but what else do you have? Okay, here are all my backup plans. We all always have backup plans, right? Give your backup plans to Jesus saying that you're it. You are it. And if you don't come through, then nothing's gonna come through because I am all in on you. You are my one investment and you're enough for me. Don't settle. You have the spirit of God living in you. Don't settle for another spirituality. Don't settle for your neighbor's spirituality where you plug an extension cord in so that you get a little of their power. Encounter the Lord yourself. He wants you to encounter him. He wants to give you more of himself and he'll get you to the other side. And by the way, I'll end with this. There's plenty of room in the boat. There's plenty of room in the boat. Jesus isn't working on these 15 seaters being like, well, sorry, Tim, not enough room for you. Or Tim, there's enough for you, but there's not enough room for your neighbor. Jesus is like, no, 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 I can expand these boats as we're going along. Jesus said last week that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Seems small and insignificant, but when it grows, like everyone can take shade 
in its branches. And so Jesus is saying, don't, don't just have a me and Jesus spirituality, but allow for, for your neighbors and your friends and your family and your coworkers to know that they can plug into the grid that they've been looking for all of their life as well. That there's power for them also, that there's forgiveness for them, that there's rescue for them. And explain how you've been rescued. Explain how you have this power. Don't make this a thing that you talk about. Well, one time, a long time ago, I responded to Jesus. Talk about how you're responding to him today. That's what people wanna hear. How does Christianity work for you today? How do you encounter God today? And tell people about that. I'll pray and then we'll respond together. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you're not gonna bail on us. Thank you that you uh, aren't looking for other people to be uh, in your boat. So you, you're gonna kick us out at, the, at a certain moment of, of unbelief for a certain moment of uh, confusion, but rather you're gonna stick with us. Thank you that your promises are sure that you looked at your disciples and said that you were gonna be crucified and that you were gonna raise and you did. And you have turned the world upside down through your people being full of your spirit, declaring and demonstrating the reality that you, Jesus, are alive. And we claim from Montreal that we have no power. We have no spirit and we say we need your power and we need your spirit and we need for you to bring revival and rescue and transformation and, and change and dependence to this city. We need you. We can't do that. We don't have enough generators and they won't even work. We don't want for people to plug into us and be dependent on us. We, we're not good saviors. And so as we, as we respond, would you help us to think, what, what are my generators? What are, what's my ice? What are, what are my coolers? What are my data plants? What are the things that I fall back on when Jesus, you aren't enough for me? And would you, would you cause people to throw them out today? Saying that Jesus, I, I only want you. And if you don't come through, then I have nothing. And would you minister in a significant way to our hearts? And if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know you, Jesus, would you invite them into your kingdom today by saying, I will forgive you. I will rescue you. Just ask me. We know that you come through in your promises. So we love you and we need you for everything. Amen.